a, a brief update with regard to that. I was asked about the impact on the Route 80 ridership fluctuations, how that uh, affects their payment for service. And the Route 80s, uh, I think all of you know, uh, are not with fare boxes. They have fare boxes, but people get on without having to pay a fare because there's so many riders on the Route 80s that we want to keep the buses moving, et cetera. So in that particular case, the way the formula works, everybody gets their share of federal funding, their share of state funding, uh, a share of our advertising revenue, uh, according to a formula that everyone agreed to. But because they don't have passenger revenue, their payment of what we call local share uh, is uh, everything of for the cost, uh, they get their federal funding, they get their state funding, and everything else they pay, regardless of what the ridership is. Whereas other routes in the system, we actually keep track of ridership and revenue by route, and we do on the Route 80s, but there's no revenue. And so it really does impact uh, each municipality share if a given route is having a problem with uh, ridership counts. In this case, it has no impact on the service agreement with the UW just a reminder that all of us are very interested in accurate ridership, so that's still at the forefront, but it doesn't, does not impact the financial bottom line. Okay. Everybody, thank you, Chuck. Did everybody have a chance to look at the minutes? Make a motion for approval. There's a motion. Second. There's a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Opposed? Motion carried. Uh, is there any public comment on topics not on the agenda? We do have some people uh, registered to speak on item, items that are uh, on the agenda. Is there anybody here to speak on something that's not on tonight's agenda? Okay. Any disclosures and recusals this evening? Okay. And let's move to item F1, which is amending... Um, Section 2, one, whatever, of the Madison General Ordinances to expand the boundaries of the snow emergency zone. Charlie, if you'd like to introduce yourself. Um, I just want to say briefly that when, um, at the past two meetings, when we discussed the 400 and 500 blocks of Virginia Terrace regarding the uh, petition for inclusion in the residential parking permit program, Council President Sheba Bedar mentioned both the Clean Streets, Clean Lakes program as well as the snow emergency zone and how important those were going to be in terms of keeping the streets from narrowing. So uh, this was referred to the Transportation uh, Commission this evening. So, And um, if anybody's interested, Anne can certainly forward the PowerPoint uh, to everybody if they would find that to be helpful. Okay, go ahead. Well, my name is Charlie Romines. I'm the Streets Division Superintendent. Uh, your cookies are not safe, so keep an eye on that as I, as I leave. Um, I'll see if I can make sure I can get this going. I try not to read slides, so I will try to sum up what is on the slide. Just so we're all on the same page, when it comes to winter parking, from the middle of November to the middle of March, the entire city is subject to alternate side parking. What that means is every night, uh, even dates, you park on the even side, odds nights, odd side, 1 a.m. to 7 a.m. is the restriction. The snow emergency zone, uh, that part of the city, essentially turns the alternate side parking off unless street superintendent, myself, declares a snow emergency. All the snow emergency is is it turns on alternate side parking for the part of the city that falls within the snow emergency zone. Uh, the Clean Street, Clean Lakes program essentially has um, – Two variations. Uh, there are uh, some streets that have that program that are year-round, and essentially there is one day a week, Monday through Friday, typically a four-hour window. Sometimes it's three hours during the traditional daytime shift-type hours. Um, and then other streets that have the Clean Street, Clean Lake, CSCL for short, are seasonal, kind of summer sweeper season-based. So uh, the changes that we're, we're looking at proposing to make would be that um, all the snow emergency zone, um, everything that falls within the snow emergency zone would be subject to the Clean Street, Clean Lake program. And that CSCL, there would be no more seasonal CSCL. It would all be year-round. 
So in the snow emergency zone currently, many, even most of the streets currently have some CSAL designation. Some of them have no designation and some of them are summer only. This would essentially make it year round. Uh, I'll get into uh, why. Uh, this is the, a map of the full expansion. It likely will not, it will, I'm sorry, not likely, it won't take place until next winter, not this winter, and I'll, I'll explain why in a moment. The blue area on that map is the current snow emergency zone. The area uh, bottom left with the D13 in the middle of it was an area, it's the kind of Vilas Greenbush neighborhood. Uh, we did exactly what we're proposing in that neighborhood last year, uh, and, and essentially that program is what we're looking to take uh, more broadly. So uh, we're looking at phasing in this expansion. Um, for this winter, what we are proposing is essentially any street, um, with the exception of those small areas south of Winger Creek, which is not in the map, that has any CSCL designation would become year-round CSCL. And if your street has CSCL, you would be in the snow emergency zone. So what that would mean if you park on that street is you would no longer have to alternate side park those 120 nights every winter. You would have to alternate side park when I declare a snow emergency. And there would be one three to four hour block of time during the week where you could not park on the street. Um, so why phase in the change? Uh, the timing of this has, has worked out such that there is not enough time for traffic engineering to get the areas that don't have CSCL signage currently, get all of that signage put in. To put it in perspective, it's about 1,400 signs to do the expansion. We, we love signs in this city. Um, and so there's just not enough time. So the phase approach is essentially um, using the signs that are already in place for this year to make the change. Next spring, summer, fall, they can sink the rest of the signs and finish up, the, um, finish up that expansion. So on the east side, this is just a blow up of what the full-on expansion would eventually look like. That's what it would look like this year. So you'll recognize it kind of follows the train tracks around there. So that area that is being expanded currently is a largely a seasonal CSCL area. TE goes and puts the sticker on the sign to make it year-round CSCL, and welcome to the snow emergency zone. Uh, west side, again, this is what the full-on expansion will look like, proposed expansion would look like next winter. Uh, this is what it would look like this winter, so a, small, a smaller area. You'll notice some streets in red that are not blocked out in the upper left portion. Those streets are currently year-round CSCL. So what we're proposing to do then there is basically those will be enforced by parking enforcement as snow emergency zone. Um, the worst case situation that would happen there is if a, if a resident or someone who parks in that area didn't know that it got changed to snow emergency zone, they just move their car when they don't have to. There, there wouldn't be a scenario where they would get ticketed. So we feel the anything going wrong there, it's really no exposure to a resident or someone parking there. So that's the full-on map of what the proposed expansion would look like for this winter. When uh, we originally proposed this back in uh, February, March, one of the things that we discussed was currently in the snow emergency zone, streets that only allow, allow one side parking are exempt from snow emergency zone. They never have to move their car. And what you find is that those streets typically build up over the course of the winter. They move out more into the traffic lanes or onto bike, into the bike lanes. Um, oftentimes people use them as storage. They are often quite coveted parking spots. So when people get them, sometimes they're hesitant to move. Um, so what will happen, in all honesty, is on these streets, we have a process currently in place what's called a 48-hour post and tow. That means once we identify the street as a problem, we have to give, we have to post the street for 48 hours. So typically what happens then is another storm happens or it's already been four or five days since the previous storm that we've been trying to clean up the rest of the city. Then we get to the 48-hour post and tows 
everything's froze down or again another event happens um, it's just very laborious to go out and hand post these areas people rip the signs out that type of thing so what we are going to put in place or proposing to put in place is for these streets we're not going to end their exemption to the snow emergency but we are going to add the year-round CSCL so in those overnight hours you can still park there but during that Monday through Friday, there will be a three or four hour window when you well, once a week when you have to move the car. And that will give us the opportunity then to go in and plow it back to the curb very intentionally with the right equipment um, and, and prevent uh, those streets from getting narrow cars creeping out into the bike lanes uh, where they're there. So we feel as a streets division, that's a pretty big win for people who use those those streets and for our operations to be able to get it uh, back to the curb. Uh, I'll go through this pretty quick. Why make the, why make the change? Um, it is no doubt frustrating for people to alternate side park for 120 nights a year when, you know, most winters you're probably looking at 20 to 40 nights where it's really needed. So we're trying to provide relief there. Um, also, by moving some of that plowing and enforcement activity into the daytime using the CSCL, uh, it's much easier for parking enforcement to do enforcement work and for us to um, collaborate with them and with the towing. Uh, should improve plowing on the streets with that one side parking, which I just um, mentioned how that should work, preventing the storage, for, you know, requiring people to move once a week instead of leaving their car there for weeks on end. Um, other, I, I would call them uh, probably another big benefit for the year-round CSCL areas then in that expansion that will come is for street sweeping. Um, streets really needs to get access to the curb for almost everything we do. The original intent of the CSCL program was really for street sweeping. Um, this will expand our ability to get to the curb earlier in the year. Right now where we have those seasonal CSCL streets, that doesn't start until May. We typically start sweeping in March. So in certain neighborhoods, a lot of neighborhoods where on-street parking is used a lot, we just never can get to the curb line until that seasonal CSCL kicks in, which we all know by May we've had how many storms, you know, rain events that are washing the uh, dirt from the winter and everything down in the storm sewer. Um, other ancillary benefits we'll see is, again, like I mentioned, everything we do, almost everything the Streets Division does, we, we need to get to the curb. So there will be certain um, work facets we do that we're going to try and tie the CSCL times. This uh, fall on that Vilas Greenbush neighborhood I mentioned, we're going to do leaf collection based on that four-hour CSCL time. So a resident will know exactly what day and what time we're going to be there. Um, we've enlisted the help of the Friends of Lake Wingra. They're going to help us do some pre and post um, surveying, get the word out, um, and are, we're kind of curious to see from an operational standpoint what, we're, what that looks like, and then also from a resident standpoint, how do they react to knowing when we're coming exactly versus um, current, where it's kind of a guess. We give you a, I think that'd be great. a range. So. Um, if it works well, our intention would be to expand that a little bit next year, probably do an east side neighborhood, um, and then kind of kind of go from there. The other thing it allows us to do is um, stump grubbing, uh, tree removals and pruning. Um, I've uh, Before I came to streets, I spent seven years as the assistant superintendent in parks. And in forestry, I can't tell you how awful it is for them to try and prune trees over a whole row of parked cars how many times in streets where we go out to grub a stump and can't get to it over and over and over again because it's always parked in. This will allow us, as we figure it out, to go to those when we have those four-hour windows um, and not have to worry about wasting staff resources to go there and find that it's all, all parked in. So there will still be challenges. It won't be perfect. Um, we're also looking forward to, with the GPS that we're um, is getting into the vehicles, it's not been perfect, but it will improve um, to be able to really monitor when we're hitting our snow emergency zone streets, our CSCL streets for plowing and sweeping and all of that. So we have a number of people in the CSCL that um, clearly sit in their front window and watch to make sure we come through during that window and, and let us know when they feel like we failed. So 
the, I think the GPS will help us know when they were right and we didn't get there or, or when we did. Um, so uh, that's kind of it um, as far as the presentation. Hopefully it made some sense. Any questions you all have? Concerns? Yes? Uh, what's your outreach plan uh, when this gets implemented? So this winter really is only some changes, but there sure. still will be, I mean, using the television, mm -hmm. radio. I've, I've been to four neighborhood meetings. Uh, Brian Johnson, the Streets Division PIO and Recycling Coordinator, has been to, I think, two or three already. Um, we have a winter website that we're referring people to. Uh, we're preparing postcards for the alders to send out uh, into these areas as they as they want to um, to try and get the get that word out that way, which is actually a little more robust than we've ever done in the past as the snow emergency zone has taken smaller leaps. Um, so this has two benefits. One is that it's creating CSCL year-round for this entire area. And then the other is that it's simplifying the alternate side parking for a lot of areas because they don't have to do it all the time. Right. Why wouldn't that have just changed citywide? Why are there still areas that have alternate side? Sure. <clears throat> so that, that's a good question. It's been asked. Um, so uh, I feel like the CSCL is piece is critical to, to doing away with the alternate side parking. The, the concern in the past from the streets division has been alternate side parking is necessary because if we don't train people to move, then they won't move. Uh, the reality has been that because of parking enforcement's ability to enforce it outside of kind of that core third of the city, people have kind of learned to to ignore it more often than not. Um, the reason that I'm taking a, I think a solidly, a solid gamble, but a calculated risk is because I have that four hour window of CSCL, if they're not moving their cars, I have a four hour window during the day where they'll get moved. It's not a warning. You get hooked and I can plow you to the curb. I can't take that citywide because that is very resource intense to hit those windows. Um, I am interested, and there's a, a couple alders I know that are interested as well. Grant Alder Foster is one in particular. Um, to seeing something else done throughout the rest of the city, I am very open to that. But I can't use the CSCL model because I can't resource it for, for citywide. Um, this uh, expansion here is kind of the end of the road for that my long-term street staff are comfortable that we'll get it right nine times out of ten. Um, we expand beyond that, and it's just going to outstrip our ability to resource it. Um, but I have talked to Alder Foster and some others about some ideas because I, I would like to see a system where if you live outside of that area, you don't have to park that way too. It's just I can't use that same solution that we've, we tried last winter, worked well, and is being well received so far here. Does that answer your question? Yeah, okay. Gary? Um, I know that uh, as far as enforcement, obviously you ticket people that don't move in that four-hour window. Do you also tow? They, yes, not every time, but yes, towing okay. is also an option. Yeah. Thank you. More will be more enforced in the winter than in the summer. But. Sure. Thank you. Um, so I had two questions. One, just for clarification. So if it's a snow emergency zone, um, the expectation is that they move their car if there's a snow emergency. Correct. And so my understanding, I don't know if this is correct, is that in much of the isthmus there's parking garages or other places for people to move their cars to. That is correct. In the expanded area, where would, what are the resources for folks if, in those situations. Sure. So, yeah, right now, if there's a snow emergency declared, um, the, uh, typically the parking garages are open and people can move their cars, uh, cars there. So in the area that we're expanding to right now, the areas already have CSCL, so presumably they're finding places to park without the need of going to a garage. And that's part of the reason why we, we elected 
not to remove the one-sided street's ability to be exempt from the snow emergency zone because as you get further out, there's less places, less public garages to, to park. Um, also, as you get further out, I think in certain instances, not all, parking on the street becomes more a choice than a necessity for people. Um, but again, these areas that are already CSCL, they're already figuring it out, if not year-round, at least during the summer season, someplace else to park their car. And then during the CSCL times, if you, for those of you who may not be aware, we stagger them. So if one side of the street is a Monday, the other side is a Tuesday, the next block cutting over is Wednesday, and then the other side of that block is Thursday. So there is usually parking within a block or two of where maybe you would prefer to be. Um, so I had another question just looking at the map. I know some of these areas are, um, I guess what I'm wondering is, is there any data or any information that would show where there are, where currently people are getting tickets and if this were to go into enforcement, are there any pockets that would be affected more or less? I'm wondering in part because I know some of this map is, um, I think, a lower income area. And so I'm just curious how that might impact people. Sure. So um, I don't have it if there is. Um, if there is information on that, it would be parking enforcement, which is part of police. Um, what, uh, honestly, what the streets division focused on is the parts of the city where we have difficulty getting our plowing service done because of streets getting narrow and, and on-street parking. Um, it should not be the case, and we don't anticipate any kind of additional uptick in tickets. Um, because, again, right now, if you live in one of those areas, you're subject to being ticketed 120 nights out of the year. Whereas now, you're subject to being ticketed only when I call a snow emergency. And that shouldn't catch you by surprise because there should be snow happening. Um, and then also with the, the Clean Street, Clean Lake program, that's going to be, you know, one day a week, a three or four hour window during the day, which some of those areas, again, already have. Some of them will be expanded next year, which we have, we'll have a good six to nine months to make sure we're getting the outreach done there. And, and the other thing I would mention, in the Violet Greenbush neighborhood, although no one would confuse that with low income, we did not see any uptick in tickets this past winter. We've, we've just gone through with Virginia Terrace. With, yeah. Will that be affected this year? Yes. So, so thank you for bringing that up. I, I blinked on that. So there are um, two streets. So traffic engineering had the ability to, to add about 40 or 50 signs this fall. Um, and so the two that we asked them to get done, uh, Gorham, because that's a bad one that we often see narrow up and we have to post and tow and it's not awesome. And then Virginia Terrace, that gives us fits for garbage collection and, 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 and the like. So Virginia Terrace and Gorham, perhaps one other street, I won't mention it because we're not sure we'll get to it, but those two for certain are going to be signed, okay. going to become year-round CSCL and going to... This year. So yeah, yeah, go this into fall effect. still, yeah, before... For the middle of November. Okay, good. We kind of promised that, I think. Was well, they, <laughs> or inferred that we. It was uh, inferred that yeah. it was moving forward soon. Fully intended to do that. Yeah. Okay. Are there other questions? I have just one clarification. On, on page two, it says that expanding the CSDL can be done administratively by the city engineer and doesn't require an ordinance change. So, what we're being asked to approve tonight is just the ordinance change with regard to the um, emergency uh, snow zone, so, or the snow emergency zone, right? That is, that is correct. Yeah, so I just wanted to clarify that. But they're going hand in hand according to the proposal. Yes, because I, I can't, uh, I can't good conscious expand the snow emergency zone, eliminate alternate side park, nightly alternate side parking without that CSCL piece. Right. That's also why we've done a lot of uh, about eight months now of outreach to the neighborhoods as well as the affected alders to make sure they're on board with the plan and, and the fact that they are interlocked. But um, Yang, our traffic engineer, can technically do the CSCL administratively. Mm -hmm. Gary. I would move that we recommend adoption of this. Okay, there's a motion. I'll second. And a second. Further discussion? I had another question. Sure. Um, I was just curious, I know you mentioned you went to different neighborhood as associations. Um, would that have included Darbo, Worthington, and Sassy? 
Um, we have not been to Darbell Worthington because um, this up here is not being done this winter. Okay. So I believe uh, Brian uh, did Sassy. And we went at the direction of the alders. I think some alders, depending on the relationship with the neighborhood association, that did or didn't need us to go. But, yeah, that, that portion won't be done this winter. Got it. Okay. Thank you. And we would fully expect to do that next year. And we will. Further discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carried. Okay. Thank you. Thank you for your time all. Mm -hmm. Okay. I guess the yeah. PowerPoint, is that going to be on Legistar? I, I, I will send it out to everybody. It or, will be on Legistar. I couldn't get it on there. Okay, but it will be? But yeah. she's going to send it out to us every Okay. Yeah. Okay. Just, just so everybody has a chance to yeah. see it. Thanks. Great. Thank you for coming. Okay. Um, next on the agenda is a relocation of the inner city uh, bus stop location from Langdon Street to one of two Lake Street locations. We do have a couple people who uh, are registered to speak. What our normal pattern is, is to have staff come and make a presentation, make sure everybody's up to speed on all the information. Then we'll have the, um, anybody from the public speak, and then we'll have our discussion. Then everybody will be on the same page. David? I just, you want to introduce yourself for the people watching uh, on TV? Yeah. I'm Dave Trowbridge. I'm with the City Department of Transportation. Good afternoon. So um, thanks for having me back. I was here a couple weeks ago, or maybe a month ago, uh, to share what we have learned about uh, this issue. And we've revised our report based on your comments as well as comments we heard from the public, um, both testimony at the meeting last time as well as uh, in email. So um, I think a State Journal article kind of generated some interest in this at, at the last meeting. Um, in terms of background, um, we've shared with you our concerns about safety at Langdon Street uh, loading where uh, that area has functioned for the past couple of years since they were relocated from the Chazen. Um, they, uh, when we're talking about relocating from Langdon Street at this time to another location, we still are, are trying to be clear that we want this to be considered a temporary location and that ultimately our goal is to incorporate an intercity bus loading facility and possibly a waiting facility as part of the Lake Street garage reconstruction. And depending on whether or not there's redevelopment potential or a chance to partner with um, a, a developer, it could be anywhere from two to three to five years. Uh, we just haven't heard. But that's our ultimate goal. That would be what we think is the ultimate solution to, uh, to this issue. So here's just some images of Langdon Street I'll share with you. A lot of pedestrians, um, metro buses mixed with intercity buses. As you can see, um, try to illustrate how narrow the street is given everything that's going on. You've got parking, you've got a lot of traffic using that, uh, that street at all hours of the day, bikes, pedestrians, you see in the bottom left, some you know unloading luggage and things like that. Um, all these things are coming together in a very congested location. And um, certainly this isn't you know, the fault of the inner city bus companies or their drivers. They're very highly skilled drivers, they're well-trained. Um, it's really just the sheer size of the, the, the vehicles that creates visual impairment for people who are on bikes or peds or not paying attention. And, you know, so that kind of creates uh, a big part of the safety issue um, there. And let me, is this going to let me? There we go. Here's a video you can see. This isn't even during the busiest times. Probably three intercity buses, a metro bus. See that car over in the crosswalk at Park Street? I like that. Pop the trunk right in the middle of the crosswalk. Um, cars trying to maneuver in and around them, a bike. You know, there's just a lot going on in a pretty short amount of time. Amount of geography, excuse me. Here's another one. See a taxi cab. Out of traffic. Oh, just walked down the middle of the street with his luggage. So anyway, these are the types of situations that we're trying to trying to rectify um, with our proposal. As I mentioned last time, we looked at a number of alter, alternate locations to Langdon Street, and we have a recommendation for a few that we think we'd like to move 
uh, the conversation forward. Our first choice after hearing comments and doing a little more digging is uh, along Lake Street, um, this time between Johnson and Dayton. Um, that would be our first choice based on our evaluation. The second choice would be Lake Street just one block north um, by Fresh Madison Market um, between University and Johnson. We also have a third choice at Monroe Street, um, desirable because there's a lot of space, but it's undesirable. We heard from the public pretty loud and clear. We heard from the intercity bus companies. It's kind of isolated and not a real good place. It doesn't have real good access to the local transit system. So we really don't feel good about that one, but it is one that we looked at and, and did a, an evaluation of. So here's our, our first choice, which is Alternative 10. Um, you can see Johnson Street on the top. Um, there's a loading area for four intercity buses. There's no driveways uh, really to, to get in the way. Uh, it doesn't impact uh, any metro stops. Um, and is in a pretty active area. So here's what we thought about that. Um, good proximity to the UW student housing. It's really right there in the middle of Southeast Storm, not, yeah, Southeast Storms. Um, it's a highly visible area, lots of uh, services nearby, a lot of pedestrian activity. Again, that's important for passenger security. Um, and importantly, too, there's curb space available for people to drop off and pick up passengers and their luggage. If not, on the other side of Lake Street from where the buses would be, along Dayton Street, just right around the corner near the Cole Center, the couple blocks. So it seems much uh, easier uh, to accommodate that, as well as um, Dayton Street being available for buses to wait during the heavy uh, holiday periods, which can be seven, eight buses maybe at one time, I think, um, during Thanksgiving and spring break and that type of thing. So having them nearby would also um, be beneficial, and that, again, would not require any relocation of any metro stops. Um, Intercity bus operators can uh, speak for themselves as well as UW administration in a minute. Um, they are supportive of this location as well as uh, this location being supported by the mayor and our staff group. The one disadvantage uh, worth highlighting is during Cole Center events, uh, there is a lot of pedestrian and vehicular activity, people dropping people off at the games, and, um, and so there may be some congestion like you see at Langdon Street now, but during only, you know, 20-some uh, days a year in, in a specific uh, limited time periods. One block to the north, this is uh, Lake Street University to Johnson. Um, we, the staff team, really did like this location at first, but once we dug into it, uh, we saw that there are some real challenges in terms of its operation. Uh, buses turning left onto university may have difficulty during busy times. Uh, there isn't much room for uh, for the amount of buses. You've got room for three buses. Uh, Metro has some real concerns about relocating that bus stop um, to the north, uh, which would create some ancillary problems with the uh, Lake Street parking garage and its operations. So uh, the more we looked into it, the more we kind of didn't like this location. It's in a great location visibility-wise and that there's a lot of activity on the street. feels very safe. Uh, the other thing worth noting is that people dropping off passengers with luggage, there's really nowhere uh, good to do that. Um, there's no parking on Johnson Street or University Avenue, and all along this block of Lake Street uh, where you don't have bus service, you have either driveways or commercial loading zones. And unless you enforce it 24 hours a day, people are just going to pull up in the loading zone. We know that um, that's going to happen. So that's a concern that we've raised, our staff team has raised. So, again, what's good about this site uh, good, close to UW housing, good visibility, good pet activity. We mentioned that. Uh, services available at Fresh Madison Market. It is a private business, but I think if people want to get a cup of coffee or something, they could, could do that there. Uh, in Memorial Union, um, again, is only a couple blocks to the north. So both of these locations are in a pretty good place geographically, but operationally, we think the, the southerly block is, um, is more advantageous. As I mentioned, uh, this is not a great location for vehicle staging. You don't have enough room for uh, more than three intercity buses moving the metro stop, as I mentioned, and then the left turns. So these are all things that operationally we, we don't feel quite as good about after looking into it. Um, and so, again, this, this area, in, as we discussed this with the intercity bus operators, they were generally supportive of the area, but they also, working with us, acknowledge that there would be some, some challenges associated with it. UW administration had originally come out uh, favoring this site as well, um, but possibly could be rethinking that if we communicated to them what our concerns are with um, 
some of the conflicts and the lack of uh, circulation. Um, and again, uh, Metro and traffic engineering have raised some concerns there. So that's all I have. I can try to answer questions or we can go to our registrants. If you, if you have some questions now, we can wait on discussion until after we hear from the registrants. Do you have questions now? Anybody? Okay. Um, we have Rob Kennedy, uh, 511 South Baldwin, uh, from UW-Madison. Uh, support wishes to speak. You have to It's our normal practice, unless we suspend that rule. He's well aware of our rules. Yeah. <laughs> I chaired this commission for a decade, so. Okay. Are you familiar? Well, thank you uh, for your service. At any rate, uh, I'm the uh, senior transportation planner for the uh, UW, and uh, we've spent uh, four years, five years on this. Uh, it's, it's hard. Uh, we don't have a situation and a solution that we think is uh, ideal. And uh, until we finally get to the depot that hopefully we can build in Lake Street, right around or below the Lake Street ramp, we are basically picking between choices which are um, difficult. Uh, however, um, the Chancellor and a lot of other folks have made it quite clear that they think that we need to do something in the meantime with respect to Langdon Street. Langdon Street is just getting too crazy. Uh, we aren't increasing any parking, so we don't have more traffic in general on the uh, campus. But this particular area, this particular street, generates its own kind of traffic, including with pedestrians, uh, bicycles, which are now increasingly, we are literally, we have double the, the bicycle parking, or as well as the bicycle traffic um, on the campus in the last 15 years. Uh, so all of this stuff is increasing. We have uh, more intercity buses than we used to. Uh, we have obviously the, uh, the Route 80 and other uh, metro buses that we've had in the past. So we realized that we had to do something and the chancellor basically said to us, we need to get off a dime and come up with something. Uh, so we did and uh, uh, we worked with David and uh, uh, with the other folks in transportation and traffic engineering uh, and realized that uh, this is the proposal that we support. It's the only one that really looks like it would operate. And I think, again, you have to remember, we need to figure out what to do during those times of the year when we are at uh, Thanksgiving break or whatever, and we have more than just the three buses that we often typically have. And we, we have to figure out where they can go and how they can get there and, and what they disrupt and what they don't. And so. Make a long story short, um, the UW administration, the chancellor's office, the vice chancellor, and everyone else, and my director, Patrick Cass, we are um, pretty convinced that this is the right way to go. Uh, again, we're looking forward to the Lake Street uh, Depot being uh, built, uh, but this is what we think we really need to do, and we realize that a key thing is to make sure that um, the bus companies will do it, because we can't force them to do things. We can force them not to do some things by putting up signs where it's no parking and try to enforce that. But uh, basically, we have to come up with something that works with their market and uh, also works with uh, our students, although it's not just our students. There's other folks who are also catching the bus. And it has to be something visible enough and workable. And um, we know we're going to have some issues with coal center events, but... We do have UWPD, and we also have uh, um, city uh, police department folks that we hope can help out with that. I'm sure that they will coordinate with us. And so um, we do fully support this and uh, look forward to this working for a few years and then hopefully moving on to something uh, better and more permanent. People have questions for Rob. Yeah, I, Rob, um, we've heard that the administration supports this. Has there been any organized student response to this proposal that you're aware of? I have to admit, no. no. Um, on the other hand, um, I've never seen students uh, be particularly concerned as long as they are is convenient enough and close enough and visible enough 
And frankly, the students also, amazingly enough, they run, some of them have been entrepreneurial and have generated their own kind of like bus systems during Thanksgiving and so on. And they just appear on our streets that we don't even have any control of them until I go up to the bus driver and say, what are you doing parking on uh, Babcock Drive? And so I'm, I'm not sure, I, I'm not concerned about students being unhappy about this because um, we have good uh, Metro bus and AD bus connections with this. Uh, if anything, it's, it's actually closer to more of the students in housing. Woody Hall, it's right beside Woody Hall. It's very close to Celery. New Aug is right down the road, and then Smith beyond that. Uh, if anything, it's closer to where our students are. Thank you. Bill? Uh, Rob, you mentioned uh, Cole Center events and when those events happen. So what is the plan as of now? Will, will the, these spots be available uh, during, will the police allow the buses to come into the city right away? So I'm going to let David start. Well, the street is open during the events. I think they try to discourage people from using it, but there'll have to be a circulation plan. We'll have to be working with the companies to make sure that they know how to safely get in and out of there. And if there are parts of Dayton Street that are blocked off, I'm not sure there are during those events, but there's certainly a way to do wayfinding by keeping this street open. Dayton Street is basically blocked between Francis and Lake during a cold center event. They do let buses in to drop people off and specific special things, but UWPT and I think to some extent uh, city uh, police department controls that. And once they hear from us and work with us and they understand that uh, the inner city buses have to go southbound and then basically go um, right and west onto Dayton to get out of the city, mm -hmm. they will just make sure that happens, I'm sure. I mean, and... So you won't need the, the other street north of there? Um, for, uh, over, or for relocation during right. those events? We don't think so. I mean, okay. we thought that the street was closed, and then we, we found had out. some discussion at the last presentation. Right. That it, yeah, no, I don't think so. If the street okay. remains open, we can make the circulation work. Okay. Other questions for Rob? Anjali? Um, so it sounds like there's, during game events, there's opportunity for the buses to come in. What about people being dropped off or picked up? What would that look like? It'll be the same situation. I mean, there will be more pedestrians streaming on the sidewalks. Um, there may be a little bit more traffic of people who are uh, pretty unused to the area and who will actually try to drop off people to go to the cold center. Uh, but I don't expect it's going to be a really big difference. It'll be, it'll be somewhat chaotic, I would think. Yeah. I mean, at least until people can. <laughs> okay. Okay. Great. We'll ask you the same question. Then. <laughs> Other questions for Rob? Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, next we have um, Alan, is it Fugate? Yes, it is. Um, with uh, Coach USA. Uh, neither support nor oppose wishes to speak. And then we can ask some of those same questions of him. So, uh, yeah, I'm Alan Fugate, and I represent a couple of the inner city carriers that are up here under the Coach USA flag. Van Gelder Bus Company operates the service from Madison, Janesville, Beloit, into O'Hare. And then we also operate under Coach USA, the Megabus service. That's, um, that's a service that connects Minneapolis, Madison, and Chicago. And so we've had a long-standing relationship with the university. Um, we consider ourselves good partners. Um, we've been on Langdon Street for 40 years, and then except for the short stint there on university, um, agree the congestion is... Um, something we need to look at. Um, the inner city carriers in general, we've talked um, with the city and we would say that the Lake Street location probably is um, the, has the least negative, negative characteristics for, for the ridership. Um, the inner city bus industry has changed a lot even in the last few years how we operate and it's still evolving. Um, much more reservation-based, much more app-based. Um, people can look on their app and see where the bus is, so there's not as much maybe standing around and waiting as there used to be. It's, it's uh, 
So, and I'm glad you mentioned those pop-up bus services because that's something that the industry is um, dealing with too. Um, these pop-up internet companies um, are literally just popping up all over, and and um, so that's another thing for the legacy carriers to to consider. But what I wanted to talk about um, the the location. So I'll address the the, the coal center events. Um, that's after our peak times in the day. So most everything that we're doing during the game, during anything going on at the coal center is typically at night. There are events during the day, um, times of the year, but basketball games at night, we're done. We're done with the bulk of our, we're mostly dropping off. We can be creative. We can drop off, um, like you say, on any, we, we don't, if it is congested, we don't have to go down there. Um, so I don't think that this is the worst location for that reason. Um, the peak of what we're doing is the early morning, early afternoon, when you're seeing the three and four buses showing up. Now, during the holidays, yeah, that's a little bit of a challenge. Um, my suggestion, same thing that we've done on Langdon Street, is the inner city bus carriers have gotten together and secured the meters, and we would proposed to do the same thing again to allow that extra space for not only the buses but the passengers and the Ubers coming and dropping off and picking up people off of the buses. Um, that seemed to work pretty good, gave us a little breathing room. I, I don't want to manage to the exception. You don't want to deal with, you know, you don't want to throw a, a, a pretty good idea out just for those peak holiday times. I think we can, I think we can manage that. Um, we've got, I think, pretty good cooperation with the city. Um, I think that's the majority of my thoughts. Anybody have any questions? Questions for Alan. Chris? Uh, can you just elaborate on what you mean by secure the meters? So we've we paid for the meters on those peak days. So you like hooded? Is that like, yeah. They bagged the meters for us, mm -hmm. and we paid for that. Okay. I figured I wasn't sure if it was like an informal thing, like they're going up. <laughs> uh, one more quick question. Um, w is it your opinion that this is, uh, I would think, maybe an easier location to get in and out of the city? I would think so. Yeah. The, as you know, the challenge is getting across the State Street during times of the day. Um, <laughs> Sometimes we just sit and we just wait. And so it does eliminate some of those, those conflicts on, on some of the corners and the turns that we make. The, the turn from University to Park Street can be a challenge and getting back across University again. So it does eliminate some of those. Other questions? Okay, thank you. All right. Discussion? Thoughts? Um, so the last time this came here, uh, there was um, questions mainly from the public about the user experience of these different stops. Um, and the, some of the things that come to mind are the, the um, vulnerability of folks at night in unlit areas, um, uh, access for people with different physical abilities, and um, the access for folks who rely on the public bus system to access these. How, how did the I think since you're leaning mainly towards option 10 how did how did you feel that this one addresses those things uh, this is just about as good as it gets so you get so much service on Johnson Street as well as on uh, University Avenue uh, route 80 right through here um, so it's it's very well situated for local bus access and it's I think you say uh, uh, the other things too like Oh, I'm sorry. The, uh, it was um, well, security. Yeah, and so it's the general. Well, it's by the dorms. So, you know, there's kids coming and going all hours of the day. And as Al said, you know, their peak times are kind of in the middle of the day. So if there is an evening bus, um, there's, there's activity on the street in general. It's not isolated by any stretch where, you know, the more you look at Monroe Street, which the public were more reacting to, that can seem a little bit um, kind of shut down. Other than the quick trip on the corner, some of the other the fire station and the UW police Camp Randall, if there's nothing going on, it, it does seem a little bit isolated to me. And one more. Was there another one? No, that was um, related to that kind of what would the city need to do 
physically to the block to make this happen? I would add a shelter. Um, university would possibly partner with us to, to install that. I don't think there's much else we would need to do. I don't, other than maybe if there's some parking areas, we'd need to make sure that the buses would have access to those, you know, sort of permanently during this relocation. But um, I can't think of anything else, Tom, unless you got. Tom? Would you like to come up if you wouldn't mind? Yeah. I know anybody who wants to speak, you have to come to a microphone so the people watching the video can hear. Thank you. Actually, I really want to be on the TV. That's <laughs> there you go. There you are. Um, on, the, on the west side of the street, we probably have to put a pad. So the bus shelter would probably have to go on a pad that's kind of in the Gordon Commons lawn. Right? If you, uh, we also looked at the east side of the street, but. Uh, the east side of the street, you kind of have your terrace, you have your sidewalk, and then you have um, kind of a retaining wall right by Woody. And so it just makes it, you'd have to start doing structural work and the like, and we just, it's easy. And I, actually, the nice thing about um, going southbound on um, Lake Street at this point is that then they come to Dayton and they, they can go right or they can go left. It's, it's easy for the buses to maneuver, and then I think he mentioned that they, during holidays, they could maybe stage in front of the coal center as well. And so it, um, if, the, if a bus driver needs to get <clears throat> some chips, got an extra block to walk. But um, it's still a, a pretty good location. Other questions? Discussion, please. Uh, if we went with option number 10, would you foresee any need for uh, signal lights on like Dayton and Lake? Uh, if you're going to have increased bus traffic, uh, and I know it can be a challenge if you, if you are trying to get on to Dayton from like Lake and Francis and that. So volumes <coughs> are pretty low on Dayton. They are. Tom, do we, do we have signals at um, Lake? Lake? No. 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 Making a right turn from Lake to Dayton is really no problem. Well, he's talking about a left turn. Rob, would you mind coming up? To you have to be on TV, too. Would you mind coming up to the mic, please? Dayton Thank Street you so TVTs much. TVTs are like uh, two or 3,000, I think. Yeah. So it's, so it's really not difficult. I, I go that way probably two or three times a, a day. It, it would, it's not going to be difficult to turn. And I'm sure that most people, most of the buses are going to want to go out uh, Park Street, but even if you have to make a late, uh, a, a, sorry, a left turn on, on from Lake to Dayton, it's not going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. There's just really just not enough traffic. Al, did you have any other thoughts on that? No? I would agree. Okay. I mean, certainly a lot easier than trying to get from um, Langdon to Lake and then from uh, Lake across State Street, across University Avenue, and then cross to the left lane of University Avenue, and then take a, a left on uh, Park. I mean, that, that probably takes at least six minutes. This will take maybe 40 seconds. Yeah, I agree. Other questions, discussion points? Okay. I would move that we recommend alternate 10, as it's identified, Lake Street, Johnson to Dayton, as our preferred and recommended option of that. Okay, there's a motion on alternate 10 as a preferred and recommended location. Is there a second? And a second for the discussion. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Opposed? Motion carried. Thank, Thank you. you. Okay. All right. Thanks very much, everybody, for coming. Item F3, uh, to approve adding speed hump um, on 2019 Davidson Street, Drexel Avenue, and Lake Edge Boulevard Street Reconstruction Project. Tom Moore is here. 
More speed humps. Yep, Tom Moore with Traffic Engineering. Um, so this is Lake Edge um, Boulevard. Uh, Oops. Actually, I'll try. What happened here? Do you know if it's okay if I switch off of this computer onto a different computer? Sure. Yeah. Okay. I think. Yeah. yeah. Give it a shot. I don't know. We'll see. There you go. So Lake Edge Boulevard, <clears throat> this is the reconstruction project that's going on right now, and it's they're actually getting close to the end of the project. Um, we did not include these speed humps in the original plan set. Um, and the reason for that is that we did not have a resident request for these speed humps. Uh, in the planning phase of the project, and we don't like to, we don't advocate for speed humps. We just kind of leave it open as an option if residents want it. So during the construction project, then we did get a request from a resident. Uh, we did the survey. There's eight parcels here. We had four responses. They were all in favor of this plan. So that's what we're here for tonight, is to get these approved so they can be included in the project. They'd be paid for as part of the project. Um, and then to give a little history, Lake Edge Boulevard is a four block street. This is uh, right here. So the, west, the western two blocks were reconstructed last year, 2018. Speed humps were included in that project. so. We're kind of considering this a continuation of those speed humps onto the eastern two blocks. Um, I guess that's the history behind it. Do you have any questions? Okay, two, two things. One, I'd like Chuck to comment on Metro Impact. Metro has no uh, negative comments on this because of its location, not on a bus route. Okay, so no Metro Impact. Right. Okay, and I would just share Yang was not able to be with us this evening, but uh, he did email and say that he thought it made sense to do the speed humps in conjunction with the street construction project. So, Tom, that efficiency is part of this as well as the neighbors requesting it. Yep. So comments or questions for Tom or Chuck or anybody? Chris? Um, I feel like we might be having the same conversation over and over again at this point, but is there a process for evaluating alternatives when a speed concern comes up in a situation like this? Alternatives to? To speed control. I assume that's the issue here. Speed so control. other traffic calming options? Is the issue speed control? I guess is the first question. Yeah, so we did a speed study with the 2018 project. We obviously couldn't with this project because it was under uh, construction at the time of the request. But with the original project in 2018, uh, we showed speeds, relatively high speeds. There are no sidewalks on Lake Edge. So people walking in the street with high speeds, close to a school, um, two churches, and a park on the east end. So it, it ranked uh, above the 30 points. Um, so the best way to lower those speeds is, is with speed humps. Um, yeah. I answer your question. Mm -hmm. Other questions? Discussion points? Anyone willing to make a motion? I would move adoption of the proposal. I'll second. Okay, there's a motion and a second. Further discussion? Okay, all those in favor? Aye. 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 Opposed? Motion carried. Thanks, Tom. Thanks. Okay. Great. Item G1 is um, our draft meeting dates for 2020. Uh, when Patrick and I went through and, and worked on them, um, he worked around the dates where we can't have meetings because of other city things going on. 
tried to keep it on the, the same second and fourth pattern that we've had. I will say the February 26th date, I, I know I have a conflict. I'll be teaching, so I'll have to talk to Ken or somebody else would have to chair if we do have a meeting that particular date. Uh, so comments or thoughts about this? We won't, uh, it's not on as an action item tonight, but I just want to bring it forward. Yes, Gary's sitting back going, yeah. Looks good to me. Not going to be there, so it looks good to me. So please take a look at them and see if, if you see any issues with these dates next year or certain dates that might be a problem for a lot of people, and we'll bring it forward as a uh, action item to adopt uh, at our next meeting. Any other comments or discussion points at this point? Okay. Chris, did you have item G2, any crossover reports? Didn't you have a meeting on Friday? I was not there. Oh, okay. All right, yep. so we'll watch. We'll either hear from Grant next time or watch for the minutes from next time. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, great, so general announcements by the chair. Again, I wanted to um, thank Gary for his service. Uh, I've learned a lot watching him be an excellent leader at the TPC, and um, really thank him for his service and um, wanted to say I was sorry that I missed the uh, press conference that the mayor had uh, last week. I was out of town teaching. Uh, she announced the Metro Forward Rapid Transit Plan. Uh, more to follow on that uh, and has that information available for anybody who, who wants to see it. Um, and there's also a BRT meeting tomorrow. Uh, another meeting at uh, Madison College Tracks um, from 6 to 8. So anybody who's interested is, is able to, to go uh, as well. I know that um, BRT updates have been on our agenda as a quarterly agenda item. What uh, Tom and I have been trying to do to coordinate and make meetings more efficient between the policy board and the commission. The policy board has you know, that's um, their point on the BRT issue. So they get regular updates and apparently the uh, city channel folks can create clips of certain parts of meetings. And so uh, what we're gonna try and do, like the Metro audit report came to the Transportation Commission and the policy board is gonna view that here and then just, you know, have any questions or discussions so that to be more efficient for staff and more efficient for both the policy board and the commission. So we would plan to, you know, view those updates and certainly share information as we have them. Um, something I would encourage everybody to do is what I've done is I've signed up for email updates on the BRT site. So you just go out there and sign up and then I get updates um, in my own email uh, box directly, letting me know what's happening with BRT any announcements that come up. So I'd encourage you all to do that um, as well. So again, another BRT meeting tomorrow. In terms of agenda items for the next meeting, uh, we had talked about when we adopted our work plan, our annual work plan in June, people expressed an interest in having a quarterly update agenda item. So I would plan to have that at our next meeting. So please look at the work plan it's in Legislar and available um, to everybody out there each meeting. Um, and we'll take a look at it and see if anything needs to be updated. Uh, and we'll do that you know, on a quarterly basis. In addition to um, other things, next meeting, we had pushed off the toolkit of options for traffic safety because Yang was not able to be here this evening. Um, so it, we'll likely have that on our agenda for the next meeting and that will take up a pretty significant chunk of time and we had hoped to wait until we had new members on board before we did that. So the timing would be good. Um, potentially the 2018 annual crash report and the analysis of the 2017 uh, might be available. And um, I think that's all I'm aware of now other than any referrals from the council. And just a heads up that we have scheduled 
October 30th as the time when Metro and Traffic Engineering has indicated they would have preliminary reports on the Spade Street speed humps. We've had a lot of conversations back and forth. We've had a lot of conversations at two different meetings. We've had um, a lot of conversation and email outside of the meetings. Everybody's very interested in what people um, are going to be finding and, and able to bring forward. So um, Chuck and Yang agreed to try and have preliminary information earlier than what we originally planned, so end of October. Um, so that we'll be scheduling a discussion about the Spade Street speed humps um, at that point. So um, that's all I have. Other thoughts on future agenda items? Bill? Not necessarily future agenda items, but mm -hmm. I did have a chance to look at, uh, get, I get emails from the Metro on, on uh, updates on what's going on, and I get yeah. the, the, uh, the new wash bay and oh. saw the pictures okay. uh, of what it looks like. and was pretty impressive and any indication of it looks like they're making good progress and almost finished then or yeah they are making very good uh, progress um, I don't know the latest updated final completion date uh, they had started out a little bit slow and uh, they have made up time and uh, uh, we're just very excited for a new wash rack to clean our buses on the periphery of the building just to remind those that are new to this, our current service lane as we wash the buses, the plume of water goes out into the work areas where we have mechanics working. Mm. And it's just it's very difficult from a breathing standpoint, from a work standpoint, and it'll be nice to have that on the periphery where all the buildings I've been, speaking of Gary taking him and others to look at other garages, the service lane is always on the edge of the building, not in the middle of the work area. So we're excited to have that nearing completion. Good. And Metro is always willing to give tours. In fact, there's a um, yes. tour scheduled for Friday. So anybody who's interested, and once we get through the different phases, I think those would be good times to offer tours again to everybody. And probably remembers the time. It's... Uh, staff perspective, mm -hmm. I just want to thank Gary for his service, mm -hmm. how he has worked with our staff on some very challenging issues, not just on the substance and technical side of it, but occasionally as we're dealing with maybe a conflict between individuals, Gary has been there to help us work through those issues, listening to all sides. So I know on behalf of all of our planning, operations, and maintenance staff, mm -hmm. Thank you. Yeah, thanks so much, Gary. You'll be certainly be missed. Any any other future agenda items? I'll make a motion for adjournment. There's a motion. Is there a second? I'll second that. All right. <laughs> motion is second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Any opposed? Motion carried. I would note it's wow. ten after six. Woo! Good job.